Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of World of Sharks, a podcast all about sharks, rays and their underwater habitat brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. I'm Isla, a scientist and professional shark nerd for the Save Our Seas Foundation and every episode I have the absolute privilege of sitting down with experts in shark science, conservation, education and storytelling to take you on a deep dive into a different part of the wonderful world of sharks. On today's episode, we are diving into the fascinating acoustic world of sharks and learning all about their hearing systems. Now, when it comes to shark senses, I think a lot of us think about their sense of smell which we've already covered on a previous episode with the rather excellent Dr. Lauren Eve Simonitis. Or we might think about their super-powered sixth sense, electroreception, which is the ability to detect electrical signals from the surrounding environment. But one thing we don't often think about when it comes to sharks is their hearing. In fact, it's one of the most understudied and least well understood aspects of their anatomy. But like all their senses, sharks have a highly sophisticated auditory system. And our guest today is one of the few experts investigating how sharks use sound to navigate their environment. Dr. Lucille Chapuis is a bioacoustician and sensory ecologist who aims to understand how aquatic organisms sense and adapt to their ever-changing environment. She is a Marie Curie Research Fellow at the University of Bristol, but is currently based in New Zealand, where she is working on her Save Our Seas Foundation project, The Ghosts of Ocean Future. This project is attempting to gain insight into the effects of anthropogenic noise pollution. In other words, humans being extremely rude and noisy (laughs) on cartilaginous fishes using the Australian ghost shark as a case study. We talk about this in the later parts of the episode, but before that we dive into all things acoustic, learning about shark ears, how they use sound, the soundscapes of the ocean, and whether great white sharks are scared of orca sounds. This was a subject I really knew very little about, so I am so grateful to have Lucille on the podcast to teach us all about it. She even very kindly sent us some of her experimental sounds. One kind of sounds like a deeper voiced R2-D2 and it is well worth tuning in for. I loved chatting with Lucille and I'm sure you will love hearing all about her fascinating research as well. Lucille also has one of the best Twitter handle and website domains of all time, Sharks Like Jazz. So she's pretty easy to find online if you want to follow along with her work. Okay, without further ado, grab your best headphones, turn up that bass, and let's dive into our episode. Hello, Lucille, and welcome to the World of Sharks podcast. Hi, Lana. It's a pleasure to meet you and to to be here. Likewise, I'm so glad that you're here and that we're going to learn all about your fascinating research into the world of hearing systems, which is something that I personally don't know much about. And I know a lot of our listeners won't know that much about either. So I am so excited to get into that with you and so grateful that you were able to come onto the podcast. You are, we're battling different time zones at the moment. You are currently 
at nine o'clock in the morning and I am sitting here at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> That's right. It's uh, wine time for you and coffee time for me. Wine time, yes. Uh, I didn't think to bring any wine, unfortunately, because technically I am working. But <laughs> um, but before we get into everything to do with hearing systems, how good listeners, sharks are, all of that kind of exciting stuff, we are going to learn a little bit more about you. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that we start the podcast and end the podcast with the same question for every guest. And our first question is always, do you have an experience with the ocean or with marine life that stands out for you as particularly memorable or special? Yeah, look, um, I I definitely have one that uh, comes straight to my mind and funny enough, it doesn't have a shark in it. Um, but I was at the time looking for sharks and sea snakes in the Exmouth Gulf near Ningaloo Reef in the north western Australia. My colleague um, and, and friend was on the boat and I was in the water snorkeling. We would kind of take turns and I was very focused on trying to distinguish the seafloor, you know, at this stage, looking for critters sitting on the reef. And suddenly it became very, very dark. And I freaked out, not too sure what was happening. As you would. And uh, yep. I soon realized, <laughs> yeah. And I soon realized there was a huge animal just passing under me, between me and the seafloor, taking the <gasps> whole field of view. And this massive eye just a few meters from, from my little eye. And it was actually a humpback whale. Um, <gasps> just very curious about what I was doing there and passing under me. And it was the first time I saw such a giant, you know, from this close. I was in awe. Um, I had to catch my breath at this point. I, I really wanted to play a bit with it and, you know, try tried to prove it that I was as graceful as it was. So I was diving down, and, but I couldn't couldn't uh, catch my breath. So I had to stay at the surface, snorkeling like a silly human. Um, <laughs> and that was lasted about five minutes, but then came an even more massive shape in the vicinity, and I soon realised that it was actually um, so the first whale that was looking at me was a calf and his mother was not coming to check on him. And so while the calf was very curious with me, the, the mum was staying a bit further up, um, not too bothered by my presence or maybe a bit wary. So yeah, that's a very special encounter that um, sticks with me. Yeah, listeners can't see this, but throughout that whole thing, my, my jaw was like pretty much on the floor. <laughs> Wow! Yeah, look, it oh was amazing, goodness. and and I can't I can't tell you if it lasted five ten minutes or an hour or three. Um, time was not a thing at this moment. No, well, I mean, encounters like that, time just doesn't really matter. It kind of dissolves, and you're just completely encompassed by this incredible experience that you're having. Um, and I knew the I know the Ningaloo is quite a common area to see humpbacks right but I bet you weren't yes. expecting it that close <laughs> no no and you know when you're looking I, I was you know in field work one at, at the time and very focused on on finding our focused animals which were um, mm. sharks or sea snakes 
And so that was not on my mind. Uh, having a whale <laughs> encounter was not on my mind at all. <laughs> Definitely not as close as that either. It's probably probably why it came so close to you. It was like, yeah, hey, what sorry. is this human doing? <laughs> <laughs> She's interested exactly. in something. I'm going to go check that out as well. <laughs> oh, amazing. Oh, incredible. That is a very, very special experience to have had. And I completely relate to that feeling of being a silly little human and wanting to stay down, wishing you had gills because you're just having this incredible yeah, time, oh but you need to go back to the surface and it's just the most frustrating yeah, feeling you ever. Lose, <laughs> you lose all your abilities. Like I didn't know how to swim anymore. I didn't know how to breathe <laughs> anymore. I, I'm usually not as bad as that as a free diver, but I was, I was useless then. I think that's totally understandable in that circumstance <laughs> when you're eye to eye with a humpback whale I think losing your ability to do anything sensible is very relatable <laughs> I fully understand that <laughs> my next question is about your career journey and how you got into the sort of field that you're in because we've done this will be our like 51st episode or 52nd episode uh, and we've had quite a lot of people on and there where sharks came into their life is often quite varied so some people went into the field that they're in because they just wanted to study sharks and they were like i will take anything as long as it's shark related or other people kind of found their niche first and then sort of came into sharks a bit later in life and i was interested in how that was for you so did you start out with a fascination with sharks or did the kind of hearing systems come first yeah look i i think indeed we, we're all unique in our journey into into shark and especially uh in something as niche as their hearing system so i think i think for me it started with the marine world in general first i come from switzerland you know which is a landlocked country the sea was something we would, if we were lucky, see on, on holidays a few times in our lifetime, right? Uh, so for me, it's synonym of um, exotic, tropical holidays. It's just something. So, so working in a world that is um, a world of holidays sounded like the best choice. And then <laughs> sharks, because sharks are kind of the apex thing in the sea. Uh, they're, you know, they're the lions of the savannah. And so if you want to go to the most ultimate thing, you just go to sharks. So I think this is why I developed, like a lot of people, a fascination for them. The more you know about them, the, the, the more mysterious they become. They've existed for over, you know, 400 million years. And their sensory systems actually if you think about it, have evolved all over this vast time span. And that makes them mm -hmm. highly efficient and adaptive to the, to the environment. And so studying these systems is like working on a highly efficient and perfected thing that has been taken so long to, to be, like um, working on a very expensive, fancy car, if you want. So I think, I think this is why it is a thing for me. Sharks have some of the most advanced and unique sensory systems in the animal kingdom. They have more senses than we, us, human humans do. Um, for example, they can detect electrical fields with electroreception. We, we can't do that. They have a lateral line. We, we don't have that. 
And so sharks' brains and sensory organs offer this rich field for study. It's also, I think, a way to help explain their behaviors, such as their hunting, hunting strategies, their mating rituals, their migration patterns. Mm. And it can also assist in understanding the ecological roles that they play in marine ecosystems. And so by understanding how sharks perceive their environments with their senses, we can develop more effective conservation strategies and maybe we'll talk a bit about that uh, later on mm. um, mm -hmm. this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, there's so much to learn and so many question marks still kind of hanging over how these things work, right? But we, we know that they have almost these kind of superpowers. We say this on the podcast all the time, uh, that you've got these kind of superpowered animals with these really special adaptations and we're only just scratching the surface of what we know about them um but we need to know about it to like as you said to help with their conservation and help with conservation strategies and we are going to come to that a little bit later on when we talk about your project for save our seas foundation which i'm really excited to learn more about hearing is something that you don't really associate with sharks like we hear a lot about their sense of smell we hear about their electroreception but hearing is something that we don't really hear discussed a lot about you don't hear people dropping in the water and being terrified that a shark's going to hear them you know this is why I was so excited to to get you onto the podcast and to learn more about this because like I said it's a learning experience for myself as well and we are going to kind of go into the hearing system now of sharks. I really want to take us back to the to the basics and ask a question that I've never really given much thought about when I wrote this down. But I was like, actually, do sharks even have ears in the first place? Yeah, that's a very good question that a lot of people ask. Yes, like any vertebrates, they do have ears. Now, they only have what we call an inner ear. So they miss the middle and the external ear uh, that we have. So, you know, the what we call the pin area, the flapping things that we have on the side of our heads, they miss that. But if you look very carefully at the top of the head of a shark or a ray or a skate, just behind the eyes, you will see two tiny pores. And these are the endolymphatic pores, which lead to the inner ears. And the inner ear is made of the same components as most vertebrates. So you've got three semicircular canals. They're known to help with the balance of the animal in the water. And then you've got what we call the end organs. And these end organs host the hair cells, which are the mechanoreceptors the receptors responsible for the detection of sounds. The shark's ear has typically four beds uh, full of hair cells. That's what we call the maculae. They've got typically four maculae, the saccule, the utricle, the vagina, and the macula neglecta. These are the kind of anatomical term of um, these very important beds of hair cells. And these hair cells do they send then send the signal to the brain that the shark is hearing something? Exactly. The hair cells are linked with nerves to the central nervous system, so to the brain. 
and there are a few regions in the brain that process these signals that are actually not well known yet. We don't really know which regions are responsible uh, for the hearing, processing the hearing. Mm. And so how how does the hearing system work then? Because I know with the sense of smell, it's from water kind of passing into the to the nostrils and running over the sensory cells. Is it similar with the hearing system? Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, you may have heard of the otolith of fishes, right? Yeah. These are very dense calcium carbonate structures located in each of these end organs inside the inner ear of fishes. Um, they're actually used a lot by researchers to age the fish because like in a tree, a ring is formed every year around the, the otolith. So they can, they can actually count the rings to know the age of the fish. Well, sharks and rays, instead of otolith, they have what we call a notoconia. A notoconia is made of tiny calcium carbonate crystals in a very mushy mucus. Oh, lovely. And that will act like an otolith. And this is also why it's much harder to estimate the age of an individual shark because they don't typically have these otoliths that bony fishes have. But anyway, so the... The otoconia lies on top of these little beds of hair cells, on top of the maculae. And how um, the shark will detect a sound underwater? Well, um, when there is a, a sound, the shark body, which is mostly made of water, will move in sync with the sound motion. And the otoconia, which is made of these little crystals, much denser than the rest of the body, will shift or lag behind. And that will cause the hair cells to bend and to send the signals to the brain about the sound. Oh, wow. Okay, so when you say the shark, can you elaborate a little bit on that? So the shark moves moves with the sound or its body moves with the sound? Yeah, so you, you we have to go a bit into the physics of the sound, right? The sound is a, a mechanical wave um, produced by your source that vibrates and there's two components to sound there is a the pressure the pressure wave which travels through the through a medium it could be air it could be water and there is the motion of the particles in the medium so the sound wave will will make these particles vibrate back and forth quite quickly the sharks because they don't have an organ full of air in the body compared to bony fishes most of them have a swim bladder. Sharks and rays don't have a swim bladder. And so they're not able to sense the pressure wave. In bony fishes, the pressure wave will inflate and deflate the, the swim bladder. That will kind of trigger, trigger the sound response. Uh, sharks and rays, they can't do that. However, they can sense the little particle vibrations. And that's because the shark body is very transparent to the motion. So it's gonna it's it's gonna move back and forth. Of course that's not something that is visible, eh, to the eye. Yeah, it's not like the sharks like shuddering all over the place like a tune and fork. <laughs> that's that's right. We're talking about tiny, tiny motion of the whole medium of the, the water and and the body of the of the shark. But the otoconia, which, you know, is made of these very dense crystals, 
is gonna lag behind. It's not gonna move at the same rate mm-hmm. as the rest of the body. And that will trigger the bending of the hair cells. And the bending of the hair cells will create a signal to straight to the brain. And the brain's like, oh, we're hearing something. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. But how does that compare to our own hearing system? So I know one of the major differences is that we have flappy bits and the sharks don't. They just have like little eel holes. But in terms of how they operate, how does that compare? There is a big difference, which is the medium, of course. Um, Humans detect sound through air. We use our outer ear, our flat, flappy bit, to capture sound waves and then the middle ear is amplifying the sound waves and then the inner ear converts this into electrical signals to be brief. So fish, they lack this outer and middle ear and they detect sound directly through their bodies, directly in the inner ear. Sound travels much faster in the water than in air and uh, much further as well. And so many fishes are sensitive to these vibrations in the water much more than we would. This is actually also why we have a hard time as humans to hear underwater. Our ears and brain get quite confused. Um, Typically, it's very hard to know the direction of a sound source underwater for us because our ear is adapted for air transduction, not water. Oh, cool. I'm trying to imagine what it must be like to be like a fish or a shark or a ray experiencing that. And the only thing that I can liken it to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know when you're at a concert, uh, like a music concert, and you're sitting a bit too close to the speakers and you sort of feel the sound with your whole body or... You know, if you're around an animal, for example, so I used to work in South Africa and the sound of an elephant, you know, when people go, oh, that sound went right through me. <laughs> Is that just sharks like on a on a daily basis? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very good, um, it's a very good comparison because you're talking about these low frequencies that a big subwoofer or, you know, infra infrasonics that the elephants produce. They, they, get, they go straight to our heart, right? It's, they're transparent to our body. So it is very relevant also because fishes in general, but sharks especially, are only sensitive to low frequencies. Their hearing capability is, is from lower hundreds, so maybe 50 hertz to about 1500 hertz, which is not a lot. In comparison, as humans, we, our range of hearing goes from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. So we've got a much wider range than them. Yeah, so they're really only here in the base. They're only here in that subwoofer. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about sort of like what the hearing system is, what it looks like, how it works, and how that compares to our own hearing system. But do we know, so obviously the obvious answer is to hear things to this question is what do sharks use the sense for? But, you know, do we know, like, are they using it to, what are they trying to to listen out for? What are they hearing in their environment? Yeah, this is a a very basic but a tricky question. We we don't really know. Um, This has never been researched in depth because it is difficult to question but we think that 
sharks and rays use sound to hunt and find prey, firstly, and secondly, to navigate. They may use sound cues that are in the water to orientate or migrate, you know. Um, we think they could be listening to what we call soundscapes. So soundscape is the landscape of sounds of an environment. And I'm thinking coral reefs or mangroves, which have got all a distinct sound signature. They could be tuning in to these signatures, particularly to find the best reef around or the nursery ground where they will spend their early life. We also, it's been recently highlighted that a few species of, of elasmobranchs actually can produce sound. This shows us that they may use sound production as a way to communicate with their own or other species. That's very new and exciting, actually. Yeah. Do we know Do we know how they're producing those sounds? No, I, you, you can have a look. If, if you've not looked at the video yet, it's, it's on, um, you'll find it on YouTube. Just Google um, stingray and knocks or clicks or sound. And you'll see this amazing video where you've got um, a diver following a ray and the ray is not very happy about that. So it starts it start knocking a bit, a bit loud. So we, we think it's more um, like an alert sound, you know, to say you are too close to me. You're too close. Get away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we don't, but we don't quite know how they're actually producing that noise just yet. No, uh, that's the mechanism is not known yet. It looks like when when you look at the video, it looks like the spiracle may be involved. You know that um, flapping thing that right. they use when they breathe. I I would actually love to um, have some uh, samples to study how they produce sounds. Most fishes produce sounds thanks to their swim bladders. Uh, they've got special muscles around the swim bladder, so that's not possible for for rays. Or they also have special teeth at the at the back end of their mouth. So that may be another way to grind their teeth. But it sounds more like a like a knock yeah, knock sound. Yeah, I'll definitely I'll find that video and I'll put it in the show notes of this episode for anybody who wants to go check that out. That's super cool. Really, really super interesting. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. And the idea that sharks can you know, I mean, I'm sure they they have to, right? They have to find some way of communicating with one another. But just to think about that is just is 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 really really awesome. It's very very cool. I'm gonna get into your research now, um, in terms of like what you specifically look at. But first, I kind of wanted to dive a little bit into the sort of tools and techniques that you use to investigate the hearing system? Yeah, we actually try to use a whole array of techniques um, and this is what makes the job so exciting because I get to experiment with all sorts of tools uh, from histology, you know, the anatomy of the this inner ear that we talked about up to behavioral trials and ecological studies. So we can look at these hair cells in the inner ear of sharks with microscopy see how they are distributed and how they orient and importantly if they are affected by noise you know does noise pollution actually can make these hair cells die and then we can look at the whole inner structure and its shape the shape of the canals the size the shape of these end organs and you'll be curious to know that actually each species has a different inner ear shape and 
a different size relative to their to their body size. That's a bit of a puzzle because usually in vertebrates, the inner ear is fairly conserved. They all look the same. If you look, you know, between mammals, it will be hard to say, oh, this is the ear of a hedgehog and this is the ear of a cat. Um, but in um, for, for sharks and rays, you can say, oh, this, this is, you know, a rip ray and this is a hammerhead. And why is that? Is there what we want to know? Is there a link to the function? You know, is there a link with their auditory cap capacities? Uh, does a particular size, a bigger size mean that they hear better? We don't know all that. So we, we're trying to, to use lots of techniques to quantify this difference, these shapes. So we use bioimaging uh, like MRI or um, CT scanning that helps to image the, the ears in 3D and, and you know quantify the volumes, the surfaces. We also um, I'm trying to model the, the shark ear to, to produce a bit of a kind of reverse engineering so that we can understand more what the sound does inside the ear and how it functions to better understand the shapes, you know, does a certain shape affect how it, um, how it detects the sound, etc. We can do field and lab experiments by looking at how some species respond to different sounds. And um, we can notably study their response to human-made noise which is of rising concern um, at the moment. Uh, we can also test the hearing with behavioral or electrophysiology. So we put the shark to sleep, uh, put tiny electrodes on top of the heads, play some uh, pure tones, what we call pure tones, so frequencies, pure frequencies to them. And we can record the brain waves and detect if there is any signal or not when we play certain frequencies at different intensities. So that's building what we call the nodogram. So you've got a bit of a curve that um, represent the sensitivity of this species. And we see that again, different species have different sensitivities. Um, so that's very exciting. That's fascinating. I have, I have a few different things I wanted to pick up on in what you said there. The first one is just, because we've had um, Dr. Simonitis on the podcast before to talk about the shark sense of smell. And she was saying that they have found similar things in terms of like the way that the shark olfactory system is structured and the different sizes of the different components is different between different species. So you can look at the olfactory system of a hammerhead, for example, or a Greenland shark, and you can tell whose is whose just based on looking at the different structure. It's so interesting to know that the hearing system seems to be quite similar in terms of there's differences between different species, which is just mind boggling. And I wonder if it's got quite a similar reason behind it, because I think Lauren said that you can tell basically what sort of environment they're living in and it's all adapted to that certain environment or that certain habitat that they're spending most of their time in. And I wonder if it's the same thing for the hearing system as well but yeah exactly so look um sensory biologists have the same quest and it's to try to link this differentiation this diversity with some factors of some sort so maybe habitat maybe the way they the, they prey the way they hunt 
this is also why we try to work together because of course these sharks are made of all these senses that are all important in some way so we're trying to to match all this that's that's a big puzzle but this is why we need to work together and yes i um, have worked with visual people and i know lauren as as a nose expert and we're trying all together to find the missing piece because at the end of the day, it would be awesome if we could just look and look at an ear or look at a nose, look at the brain and say, okay, well, this is an animal that does that, that and that, and it lives there. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's so, so cool. We're just at the beginning of that journey, right? And finding these things out. I think it's just such an exciting time because as these like techniques and tools are advancing, we're being able to look at these things in more depth and, and try and figure that out. And the, the second thing I wanted to pull you up on there is you mentioned putting sharks to sleep. Yes. How on earth do you put a shark to sleep? <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's like with, with humans, we use anaesthetics. They're usually uh, immersion-based anaesthetics. So you put a little bit of chemicals in the water and that creates a sleepy bath for them. Yeah, they, they, go, they go in the bath uh, for you know 15 minutes 20 minutes and then they go to sleep and uh, about um, 30 or 40 minutes later they wake up so that's quite convenient because that means they're still and we without hurting them we can do our testing of course we need to keep the the gills moving for some of them eh uh, so we do have a tube of water um, in their mouth to to keep that going so that they can still breathe normally oh, they can breathe that sounds like quite a i mean i don't know I've, I've never been a shark that's had electrodes you know put on my head but you know it does sound like quite a nice relaxing experience just going into this kind of lovely <laughs> sleepy bath and having a little nap for 15 minutes and then waking up and all of these scientists are looking at you <laughs> it sounds like quite a nice experience actually yeah look that's right these audiograms are actually something that they do in almost all babies uh, when they're born. So they do put these electrodes on the head of the babies and play <laughs> some sounds to, to know that they're, I mean, human babies, uh, to, <laughs> to know that they can hear properly what they're supposed to hear. Um, now, they don't need to anesthetize the babies because um, a human can kind of uh, stay quiet for 20 minutes, but... Um, Follow babies sometimes I'm not sure <laughs> I was gonna say it depends on the human as well <laughs> we, that's fine um, um for for sharks we we need to anesthetize to to make sure they stay still yeah oh it's been, I'm learning so much already from this episode just because I assume that you would inject them like you would do with any you know any other animal to put them to sleep but no sleepy bath sounds lovely and that's definitely what I'll be suggesting if I ever need to go under <laughs> but like just put me in a sleepy that's bath fun. and I'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> but your your PhD has such a cool title it's the acoustic world of sharks which is just <laughs> I love that yeah, I the story of this title is simple. It was my my PhD went in all directions, far and beyond, and I couldn't couldn't find a title. You know, one of these complicated titles mm -hmm. that would fit just one chap, more than one chapter. 
so I just went easy and uh, yeah why not I always think they're the better ones as well because it just like it really draws you in as a reader but yeah the acoustic world of sharks just sounds so intriguing and fascinating and you were looking at many different things as you said there but one thing that you were looking specifically at was the effects of different sounds on shark behavior and you kind of went into it a little bit there when you talked about your tools and techniques but I wondered if you could explain just a little bit more about how you looked at this and also you know what kind of sounds were you testing? Yes so to give it a bit of context about this particular study it was at a time where there had been a few shark attacks in um, in Western Australia in Perth when I was doing uh, my PhD and so the state government gave bits of money to researchers to test and develop new shark deterrents. So the goal was to actually deter sharks with sensory cues. And uh, so we did test two types of sound. The first one was orca calls because orcas are one of the only predators of these large sharks like the great white. It is thought that great whites hear the orca coming from afar and may leave the area when they're there. So that was the, um, the theory behind that. The second sound was an artificial sound that I generated myself. And the artificial sound contained most of its power in the lower frequencies, so overlapping with uh, the sensitivity of, of, um, of sharks and very chaotic rhythms, uh, abrupt changes, no patterns, sudden increases and decrease in intensity. And this was to sound very unnatural because you'll find that a lot of biological sounds are very rhythmic um, and predictable. And so we thought it may act as a repellent for some species that it doesn't sound like a good place to go. And so we did design a special rig to test this in the field, actually, rather than in the lab, with a um, stereo camera system uh, that was floating in open water. I had my speaker system there, powered by a battery that was floating above, and uh, we had a, a, bait, a bait bag to attract sharks to the rig. And we would uh, throw, throw that device in the water and leave it there by itself for about a couple of hours and so we could count and, and observe the, the shark behaviors. We tested these sounds in two locations, um, Ningaroo, Ningaroo Reef again to target reef sharks. We encountered mostly lemon sharks, grey reef sharks, duskies, lots of brown whalers over there. But we also wanted to target the great whites, of course, because of the, the reason for the study. So we went to to Mossel Bay in South Africa. Yeah, actually, I have I have these sounds right here. If you are curious to hear them, yes, please, yes, please. I would love to hear these sounds. So I'll see how it works. Uh, give me a sec. I mean, I can hear that. That's amazing. So yeah, um, you can hear these these knocks, these low frequency <laughs> knocks. That's what we we mostly talking about. The the whistles, the sharks would not really hear them, but they are lower frequency parts, lower frequency components of the of this orca. Mm. 
Here is uh, the artificial sound. So listeners need to imagine that as if you're a, a great white just from around the ocean hearing this for the first time. That's right. It's quite um, R2-D2-esque from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, funny you say that because that's exactly what I I, I use I use R2-D2 <gasps> in, in all my presentations. Yeah. <laughs> so it's spot on there. <laughs> Same minds. <laughs> it's good to know, yeah. It sounds like R2-D2 but you've like turned the frequency down on exactly. him and made him have like a lot yeah, lower, yeah, yeah. a lower voice. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Oh, we're getting a, a little insight there into when you hear the orca noise, you're getting a little bit of an insight into what the great whites off the coast of False Bay are hearing just yeah. before they, you know, get their liver ripped out. That's right. <laughs> which, which is 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 quite is quite uh, quite scary actually. Um, if you put yourself in the in the shark's shoes. So did you see any kind of behavioural responses to those sounds then? Like, did they yeah. did they show any kind of aversion to either one? So the results were really interesting. With the reef sharks in Ingaloo, we found that both sounds were actually effective in repelling them from the area. There were less sharks around, less interactions with the baits because um, that's also something we quantified. And they were less, um, I want to say less aggressive, which is a bit um, anthropomorphic, but they were less playing with, with that bait, less trying, less bitey, and they spent less time with the bait bag. So that was interesting. Now, with the great whites, which was our focus, we found that uh, the sounds were not very conclusive. Something interesting we could do with the great whites is we could identify because they've got all these markings, so we could identify each individual, you know, give a nickname to all the individuals that, that were interacting with the rig. And we found that there were huge differences between individuals, almost like they have a different personality and some were very curious with the with the sounds, just actually maybe attracted to it just to see what it is. And then they would disappear, never come again. So I think, yeah, great whites are um, a difficult one to tackle, and I would not advise to um, to play some music to, to try and repel them. <laughs> yeah. So if you're thinking about, you know, taking uh, orca orca sounds with you and playing them while you're out there, they might actually it might do the opposite effect and have them come over and check you out and try and see what you are. That's right. To be fair, there, there was something with orca calls that was difficult to control. Orcas are very specialized in their predation. They usually specialize in prey species, right? Mammals or penguins or fishes. And some, some orca populations specialize in sharks. And their acoustic behaviors are known to vary with the type of prey they hunt. They also vary depending on the on the pods, so by location. It's almost like they've got an accent. And so it was very difficult to actually get recordings of orca predating on sharks in our location in South Africa. 
it may be easier now that it's known that there is a, an orca population there predating for, for great whites. At the time, that was not the case. And so the only recording, the only good recordings I could get my hands on were a pod in South Australia. So it may be that the great whites of South Africa did not recognize the orca calls that I played as a threat. So I would I'd, I would love to repeat the same experiment now with good recordings from a South African population. Yeah, that was good. That was going to be my next question: is do you have plans to sort of go back and do that now that everything's going on and with everything that's happening, you know, off the coast of False Bay? I think that would be fascinating. That would be really interesting. Um, if anybody has some money to to give us, we'll go. <laughs> We do this regularly on the podcast. We have a lot of, uh, <laughs> we put out calls for any funders who are listening who might want to fund really cool research. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us really nicely onto that part, that side of your research that looks at the potential effects of human generated noise on cartilaginous fishes and that's the subject of your project with the Save Our Seas Foundation which looks at these effects kind of specifically on the Australian ghost shark and we've talked about ghost sharks a lot actually on this podcast before um you know type of chimera and but why are you focusing on this species kind of first of all for this project? Yeah uh, ghost sharks are awesome um so it's great that you talked about them a lot and not a lot of people actually know about them so the Australian ghost shark Caloranchus milli is um camera living in the mesopelagic zone or twilight zone of the deep sea, so lower than 200 meters, where it's very dark. We think that because it's in the deep sea and it can't rely on vision so much, maybe it relies a bit more heavily on audition on top of electroreception. And it's also indicated by looking at in inner ear that are very big uh, in relation to its brain and its size compared to other species. So we think audition is quite important for this species. These ghost sharks are, of course, targeted like, like other species for food and both commercially and recreationally and susceptible to bycatch as well. The latest catch assessments have released a, a decline in stocks, particularly in the um, south eastern Australia, so talking uh, around Melbourne. Now, how it works is that they actually live in the deep, but um, every season they migrate to shallow waters, to very shallow waters, to actually reproduce and lay the eggs. And they've got special nurseries where they they lay the, these eggs. One of the most significant known nursery is Western Port Bay in Australia. So that's again um, a, sh a shallow, shallow water bay, quite tidal bay next to Melbourne. It's a busy bay with a lot of ships. So we, we thought maybe there is um, a problem with sound there because they have to migrate, you know, they have to come from the, the deep, cross these, um, these very busy channels to enter the bay and go to the nurseries to lay and then go back. And so do the youngs that are just born. So the goal of the project was to actually go out and uh, record the sounds in the bay and um, also test some uh, boat noise in captive ghost sharks and 
record the behavior and also look at the again the inner ear of this species a bit more because that's never been uh, actually reported yeah yeah and i know it's very early days in terms of the the length of the project and and what kind of where you're at but and feel free not to answer this question because <laughs> it's a bit cheeky but do you have any sort of early results that you can share with us is there anything that you're you're finding in their behavior or what their area looks like or anything that you'd like to share to do with the project yeah definitely so we can we can see that the soundscape is heavily influenced by anthropogenic noise so human-made noise uh, that was of course expected we're still looking at patterns you know to see if, if there are daily changes if it's more um, during the weekends, of course, because of recreational activities. So we're looking at that. The, the results are, of the behavioral trials are, are still under uh, analysis right now um, by um, a couple of our students, but it looks like there is an effect on their swimming activity. So they would typically swim less when they're exposed to noise and they would also breathe deeper, which is a sign of stress basically. So that's very interesting. We, we need to quantify now these um, these effects to see if they are significant. We, we yeah, that's that's early days. And <clears throat> the last thing is that we have scanned a few of these sharks in the in the city, and we can now three D model their ears, which is a first, and that that's very exciting. Mm, I'm so looking forward to seeing what comes out of this work. I mean, even just the early results that suggests that there may be that that might there might be a stress response to this kind of noise is you know very important for conservation and obviously has implications for other species as well. You, you know, suggesting you can maybe apply that to other species of of shark and ray as well, and say like, hey, noise pollution is 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 potentially a problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, look, it's it's early days. We we, ha we need to take these results with a pinch of salt because it's only in a few individuals. It's also lab trials, so in captivity, and you know, especially these sharks don't behave fully normally um, in captivity. But but to me, it is it is striking that there is a difference, uh, even though again, it's with the same little speaker. It's not full intensity. And there is an effect when we expose them just for 30 minutes. And that's much less than they would experience in the f in the field. So it is concerning. And I think it's it's hopefully going to trigger more uh, more questions like it usually does to get more um, people looking at this. Thank you for sharing that with us. I, I, I appreciate that. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what comes out of the rest of your project. And if people want to follow along with that, they can find you on social media and they can find you via your website as well, which have a very memorable handle, <laughs> which is Sharks Like Jazz. And I have to ask, do sharks like jazz? <laughs> Yeah, of course you have to ask. Look, it's a it's a silly handle that I chose as a, as a young researcher, <laughs> you know, in quest for identity, maybe. 
uh, I thought I found my niche and <laughs> I, ju- I just illustrated this niche with that. Uh, it's mostly because I like sharks and I like jazz. So sharks like jazz, that was it. Now that you know all about sharks hearing though, you will agree with me that sharks probably like drum and bass uh, that, rather than jazz. Yes, I would think that. Yeah, something something very bass heavy. Like, like sharks are ravers rather than that's going right. to a nice jazz club. Exactly. So <laughs> so so that's that's the picture in my head now. Uh, left with me. Sharks are ravers. Love it. Hey, but there's still a lot to find out. There's a lot to investigate. We might find that. I mean, manta rays are quite sophisticated. Maybe manta rays enjoy a good bit of jazz or a good bit of classical music. I think I think they're the most likely candidates, probably. Yeah, uh, funny <laughs> enough, there, there is a research that has been done by um, a colleague where she managed to condition sharks to respond to a jazz stimulus. <gasps> yeah, she could tr- basically train the sharks to listen to jazz. So, so that's quite relevant. Well, there we go. There we go. I think you can say that they they do like jazz if there's a reward at the end of it. <laughs> exactly. Whenever there's food, they're there. No, but I love that though. And it makes it very easy to find you because there's not many people that have sharkslikejazz.com as their website. So we'll leave links as we always do to everything in the show notes so you can follow along with Lucille's work. Um, I highly recommend that you do so. It's absolutely fascinating. But we do have one final question. And it is a very silly question, but I love it. Uh, And it is, if you could be any species of shark, ray, skate or chimera in the world, what would you be and why? It's it's a tricky one, eh? Because uh, the more you study them, you discover new species and they're all fascinating and you want to be them. My favourite shark is the hammerhead, but this is not the one I would like to be. I would love to be a shark from the Etmopteris family, you know, the Lenten sharks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're Uh they're the ones that have beautiful light spots on their bodies, um, photoluminescent. And uh, most importantly, they live in the deep sea, which is a habitat that I would love to discover more. And I think Lenten sharks, in general, they're a great example of this incredible diversity and specialization right found in in the shark family, Um, these unique adaptations that allow them to thrive in the deep sea. And yeah, by the way, I would love to study their ears too because they must rely on audition as well. So if anyone has got some samples, please get in touch. (laughs) Put it it out there into the world. (laughs) Well, there you have it. If anyone has any lantern shark ear samples please do let us know yes. <laughs> forward it onto the seal um and yeah our ceo james will be extremely happy to hear that you pick that as your shark because he is a big fan oh, is it? Well, of the velvet belly lantern shark that's his favorite species so he'll be very happy yeah, that someone picked on it him. finally <laughs> but they are amazing they right. go in the dark what more could you want <laughs> exactly disco sharks Disco sharks, yeah. Disco sh- So we've got disco sharks, we've got raver sharks, and we've got sharks that like jazz. We've covered everything in this episode. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, We're ready to rock. <laughs> but Lucille, 
that's us come to the end of the podcast episode and I've learned so much from you in such a short space of time so thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast to chat to us about everything to do with the acoustic world of sharks and so much more as well um it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to learn all about your fascinating area of research Uh, it's my pleasure thank you so much for the invitation and thank you for listening This podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was hosted and edited by me, Isla Hodgson. Our amazing visuals are by Jamie Silver. Our beautiful logo is by Nicola Poulos. And the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. A enormous thank you to the SEAL for coming on our podcast and teaching us all about the fascinating acoustic world of sharks. Again, if you'd like to follow along with Lucille's work and show us some love, you can do so by following at Sharks Like Jazz on Twitter, at Lucille Chapuis on Instagram, or head to her personal website. Again, that is sharkslikejazz.com. As always, we will leave links to everything in the show notes. Please do go and check her out. And thank you at home for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps our podcast. It helps other people to find us and other people to find out how amazing sharks are. And who doesn't want that? You can also get in touch with us. We love hearing from you. You can email us at isla at saverseas.com or you can find us on social media. We are at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram and at Save Our Seas on Twitter. Alrighty, have a jawsome week and we will see you next time. <laughs>